It's time for truth, a ministry of Truth Family Bible Church in Middleton, Idaho. It's time for truth exists to glorify God through the edification of his saints in our local church and for the benefit of the church around the world. I'm your host, Pastor Danny Steinmeier, and I'm joined in studio with my friend and fellow elder at TFBC, Jim Berg. Welcome, everybody, once again to the podcast. We are glad that you have joined us today. It's another beautiful day here in southwest Idaho. We had some hunting excursions for the Steinmeier clan. We struck out on bucks. We saw 30 does and not one buck with them, And but we had saw a beautiful sunrise, and the weather was great, and we had a great time. Uh, Mr. Uh, Seth got himself his first deer. Uh, Brandon took him out and uh, and showed him the ropes, and they were came back successful. So they brought meat home. So that was a an exciting news for some people in our church doing the hunting thing. But it's a wonderful time. Well, really, the the color changes on the drive here was uh, was really standing out pretty amazingly today. So uh, just a wonderful time of year. We we enjoy the fall season. And we are looking forward to this episode once again for us today. Now, just a little heads up before we uh, turn things over to, to Jim to find out how he, how he is today. It, we are going to do a little bit of a leapfrog of an episode is what I'm calling it. We have recorded a episode for the podcast on economics, and we chose a topic of borrowing and lending, uh, part one of that. We've already recorded that, and we intended to put that out for this upcoming for when you're hearing this one, but instead, part two is going first, technically. And the reason why is because we are taking the opportunity to speak about some current events and things happening. We want to just give some of our pastoral perspective on some of these things. And we wanted to not have that be irrelevant when it's two weeks late, as it were. So we wanted to leapfrog this one and put episode two, or excuse me, part two of borrowing and lending in front and then the other one. So just if you are tracking with the podcast and it sounds like the next episode after this one is a little bit uh, funny, a little bit disjointed because it seems out of order. Well, it is out of order, but uh, it should make sense. They all should be able to stand alone. So we're uh, we're just working towards that. We just want to let you know what we've done. We are recording this on Thursday. What's the date today? The 12th. We're recording this on the 12th of uh, October. And so it'll uh, it'll air on the 16th. And we're just jumping ahead a little bit. So that's the plan. And so with that, uh, Jim, how are you today? Yeah, doing good. And you're right. It is a beautiful time to live in the Treasure Valley. Um, the weather is absolutely gorgeous. My favorite time of year. Uh, hunting has started, uh, at least the uh, the deer hunting. And so people are out in force doing that. And yet in the world, we have this craziness going on around us. And I, th- I think that's an interesting picture that uh, things are calm here in Idaho, but the world is crazy. And it, it should make us think and look at things and really apply wisdom to things that are happening in the world and bring those into Idaho. So that's why we're doing this. And I think it's an important topic. Yeah. So, well, let's jump right into it. It was actually this past Saturday, we were on our way back from a woodcutting trip with a bunch of us from church, had a great day, good time. We sat down at a diner, I think it was in Vail, uh, Oregon, and we were sitting down and one of the guys uh, across the table said, uh, Israel's been attacked. And it was like, oh, really? You know, we're out of, out of uh, cell phone 
coverage range. And so we were not aware of anything. We weren't checking anything. We were just uh, up in the mountains and enjoying a good day. And then we heard that. So that was late Saturday afternoon when I when I heard that. And of course, uh, there's been a lot of more information coming out about death toll and injuries than more about um, kidnappings and all kinds of, of issues of what Hamas is doing in that region to Israel. And so we thought it would be just valuable to uh, talk about a few things. I thought I've heard a few really interesting takes that I think are valuable for us to think about and talk about. And so, uh, yeah, let's get into that a little bit. The The big idea, as you are aware, is uh, Hamas has uh, attacked Israel in a in an coordinated way. El Akasa Flood is what they're calling it. So it's in defense of the temple is the way that... Hamas is trying to position this, um, you know, obviously taking things back to a religious war. Um, but reality is this is just a good old fashioned act of terror. So, and they've, they had a significant a level of coordination. They were clearly armed to the hilt with rockets and things that were able to give them the advantage of surprise. Uh, this was following some of the celebrations centered around Yom Kippur in Israel. So there was a lot of holiday uh, festivities and uh, things happening in the country that just for timing wise really made it advantageous for Hamas to take advantage. And they talk about that. They talk about the level of planning that was involved in this, both air, land, and sea, and how Hamas in and of itself, given the environment, could not have coordinated this without external help. Significant help, right? right? And I think that's where a lot of this comes down to. And And, and one of the best takes that I heard was from John Harris. And what he identified was the how interesting it was that in our day of technology, of surveillance, of intelligence gathering, and, and Israel is is up there among the top in the in the world regarding its intelligence agencies and its abilities. And yet Israel was not able to see this coming. They weren't able to identify what was being planned. They said, oh, we knew some things. We just didn't know the level or all of it. And But the, the bottom line was they were not able to stop it in advance. And this is right in, literally in their backyard. And what John Harris was pointing out was even in this high, highly digitized surveillance era, it was still possible to do things like that in secret, to do things under the radar. And that then made an immediate application to our own country, and it was close the border, people. Right. You have to deal with the border because, uh, as you po- pointed out in the pre-podcast podcast, uh, Hamas is here, right? right. There has been nefarious people that have been able to easily cross the border. Uh, this wicked Biden administration if you don't want to be a country, just go ahead and leave your borders open. That yeah. that is that is a suicide. Talk about inviting a suicide. That is what you're doing, and and you're just allowing them in, and that means you're not able to surveil everything. You, you think you're so powerful with all your surveillance technology, and you you're you're going to keep your people safe. The reality is, those types of people are here, and our government is not necessarily all powerful, wherein they can just stop everything and, and get everything in advance. Yeah, so I'm a numbers guy. It's interesting. You've got 2 million people in the Gaza Strip in that area population, and it's a very, very small geographic area. I've said less than the size of the Treasure Valley, even, um, if we go, you know, Boise out to Caldwell. Um, and then 
Israeli is responding to that. They've called up the troops, they've called up the reserves, and they have about 300,000 men in readiness, uh, obviously, as they go into what's a ground war. What's interesting as you talk about the southern border is that the Biden administration, not only people that have come over illegally, but the Biden administration has actually granted waivers to 500,000 illegal aliens. So they have basically said, you came over illegally, but we're going to allow you to stay. Does that make any sense? And so those are just huge numbers. And to think that uh, any number of those that came in that even now that are granted, you know, the right to stay uh, are not of Hamas is, is foolishness. Just the, the numbers alone tell you that we have people from Afghan and people from Hamas that are, are in our country right now. And their intentions are clearly not good. So We've invited this vulnerable um, possibility by just not doing the things that are ordinarily given to government to do, which is to protect its people, to keep its borders, and those types of things. So I thought that was a very insightful um, take on that. It is, and then, and then the Hamas leader calls for you know an action of jihad against uh, America for this Friday. So that that's tomorrow is is what they're calling for. You won't hear this until it gets, until it's passed. But the reality is is all of that. Danny really builds people up and moves them to fear, right? You start thinking and, and being fearful of things. And, and, uh, I think that's the intention. I think that, that, uh, people that are evil, that are governing nations, uh, they want chaos and fear in the people and however they can instill that in them, they'll do that. And the border is a great example. Like the, you have a nation without border. You don't have a nation. That's exactly right. I mean, it's absolutely crazy. Yeah. <clears throat> and that's the, that that's just the issue that uh, that John brought up. I think another important one for us to consider is the relationship of the United States contribution to the sea. We continue to say, "Oh, we've got Israel's back. We're Israel's ally." All this stuff. Well, at the same time, we just we just gave Iran, Iran, however you want to pronounce eight billion. it, tons eight, of money, eight billion, tons of money, and we 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 didn't give it to him, but we released it to him, which. Between you and me, that's the same thing. Right. <laughs> like right. they're trying to position it as, oh, it's theirs anyway. No, if they're doing evil and you're holding it, that's not theirs. It's not theirs until you give it back to them. So you funded them. We no matter know, we know that it. Iran is is the world's leader in funding terrorist activities. They have a direct connection with Hamas. It is is absolutely ridiculous. And we knew exactly what was, Trump, of course, knew exactly what that was all about. And, and so while we say with one side of our mouth that we are going to be Israel's ally and we've got their back, on, out of our other side of our mouth, we're saying, well, we're going to be funding all of Israel's enemies. Right. So it's, it's really a, a conflicted uh, view of what's going on and the position of our country. And I think it just goes to the evil, the confusion the demoralizing effect that our country has in these elements regarding the world. We don't have a clear voice. We seem to be um, doing one thing, saying one thing, doing another, all those types of things. Yeah, not only we're funding them directly by releasing $8 billion to Iran, but we're funding them indirectly by leaving stockpile of weapons in Afghanistan. Oh, or, you beat me to it. Or supplying weapons into Ukraine that are rumored to be making their way down. And so... <laughs> You know, if we have a leaky border, like it goes to it goes to principles. If we have a leaky border, everything that we do as an administration is leaky. 
Does that make sense? So if we yeah. send money to Ukraine, it's going to leak out. How does it leak out? Well, it's kickbacks to our political figures, first off. But it's also leaking out into other areas. So into the rest of the world. And so strong borders are are good for a reason because God designed them that way. So what you're pointing to is that when you see a significant flaw in the way in which a administration, a government administration is functioning, you are immediately suspicious and rightfully so of all the other things that they do. And you've pointed this out too, I think aptly regarding someone like St. Luke's medical system, where when they are pro-abortion, when they are pro-mutilating of children, how is it that you can really be trusting their advice and counsel in other areas of medicine when they are a pro-death organization They're as a hospital? Right. Well, and similarly, what you're talking about, if, if you're that, uh, we were just saying before the podcast, if you're that inept at the border, which I think there's less than, it's less about being inept, it's more about being uh, evil and, and intentional about these things. But if, if you've got the border just wide open and you are a significant problem there, you can bet that there's a lot more cockroaches running around that administration in a lot of different ways. So they can't be trusted. And that's a, that's a sad thing to say about our own government, but it's, uh, it is the case. Absolutely the case. So there's a lot of atrocities. Uh, there's a lot of people who have suffered over there. There's certainly Americans. Uh, I, I haven't heard about Americans being kidnapped yet. I've, I know that there was a death toll of some Americans that were in Israel as well as, um, but I, I think there's been a lot of kidnappings that they're seeking to try to get people back. But it's, uh, we'll see how it escalates. I, Israel has, is going to have a, a pretty significant, swift response, and and they're going to they're going to respond uh, much more uh, brutally as well, and uh, understandably so. So um, that, that's what's, what's going on. We just wanted to give some of our, our, our take on that. Jim, did you have something else? No, I, I add to the numbers. The numbers are important. So you've got um, Israel reporting 1,200 uh, fundamentally people that have died that, that are Israeli. Uh, many of those citizens, many of those, you know, not soldiers, uh, many of those people that were part of this terrorist attack, uh, 22 Americans reported as that, that were killed. Um, we're hearing around 1,100 people that, are Hamas or in that territory that have been killed in retaliation by Israel. And then some 150 hostages taken. And we don't know the right. makeup of the hostages at this point. And I don't think that we should be really digging into that unless we know. Yeah. So I think that's important. So, yeah. I, I was, I suppose it highlights a need for the episode on just war theory. Also, Jim. Oh, we're going to hit on that. <laughs> we'll get there yeah. eventually, but uh, right. I think it just highlights what Hamas is willing to see Hamas as a terrorist organization. Why, why, why are they referred to as a terrorist organization? They're, they're doing terrorism. Well, you talked about the idea of instilling fear. That's part of the point. And part of the point of that is, is the fear re- relative to their civilian attacks. Because they are, t- they are, it, it, whether it's indiscriminately or intentionally, pers- pursuing harm and uh, destruction, killing, rape, and et, et cetera, to civilians. They're not waging a war against soldiers, and that's what really where terrorism comes in. Like, what makes terrorism terrorism? It's that element of either indiscriminate or actual intentional targeting of civilians, as opposed to the idea of waging a war against the leaders of a country of, of soldiers versus soldiers uh, seeking to uh, 
the be- may the may the best man may the best country win sort of thing, right. a fair fight. In that regard, that that's that's what's not happening in from the Hamas side. And to me, that's the critical distinction, Danny. This isn't two nations at war. This is a terrorist act and a nation responding in defense of a terrorist act. And and there's a huge difference. And the the reason that's important is because we already see it here in America. There there are there are colleges, there are institutions that have come out and said, "Oh, what's happening to the people in the Gaza Strip is horrific," and it is. D- don't get me wrong, it is, and there there will be peripheral damage in that because war is is ugly right um but the reality is is that we have students from george mason university from harvard from columbia from brown that are all already siding with with the palestines they've they've missed the act of terrorists and they think that this is a war and it's not i mean there's a huge difference it's not two nations warring it's it's a, a group of terrorists that have beheaded children already um and uh and and Israel responding to that. And I, I thought it was interesting, even Biden talking to Netanyahu, one of the things they talked about was the moral ethics of the war, that they would not go after schools, they would not go after citizens. Now, again, there will be peripheral damage because war is war. Yeah. But I, I just think that that's, that's a huge difference that we have to, to keep in our mind. There's a huge distinction, and, and there's a biblical case for this. It's back to the just war theory. Yeah. So really, really important. I guess one last thing to bring forward on this. I, I listened to a conversation, a podcast the other day that was addressing some of these subjects, and just one of the things, Benjamin Netanyahu is one of the conservative Prime ministers, he's he's had lots of tenure in that role, but he represents the conservative side of of Israel, and some people say that this particular attack actually may not bode well for Bibi hmm. because he ran entirely on "I am the guy who will keep you safe," and then there's going to be a lot of that question is well then why weren't we safe? How is it that we had, you know, they're saying this is the worst uh, Jewish-Israeli casualties since the Holocaust, is what they say. Yeah. And, or maybe it's civilian, but who knows what what they're entirely pointing to. But they were suggesting that actually, you know, a a lot of times these things are galvanizing to support those who are in in particular roles. This was, like 9-11 was very galvanizing for George W. Bush and for Rudy Giuliani. The whole nation says, hey, these are our leaders and they have our best interests and they're going to do what's right and go get these, go get the bad guys. And this guy was suggesting that there was concern about some of the people within Israel not necessarily being favorable of Benjamin Netanyahu because he ran on keeping them safe. They weren't safe. Their intelligence uh, apparatus seemed seemingly failed, so this could have significant uh, political ramifications in that country. Uh, that could take Israel even more to the left, and and that could have a lot of of potential implications. And then, really looking into the future, it's hard to say. Israel seems to have this pretty well covered in terms of the response, but the you know obviously the the continuing concerns are whether or not other nations such as our own even get dragged into a more of a large scale conflict other other arab nations coming in or the us coming in and like you said the 
potential for organized jihad and terrorist operations in other countries such as our own, uh, that's where um, future things could come into play and we'll we'll keep an eye on those types of things and try to think through those. No, and I, I completely agree with that. I, I, so, you know, my perspective on our response is, one is we should support Israel. They are they are in the right in responding to an act of terrorist. Two is we should we should sympathize with the people that are in Gaza. We, we truly should. We should, those, I mean, they're relatively innocent. We use that word carefully, but but these are people that are going to be um, become peripheral damage of death in in a war. It's a terrible situation. Three, close the border. <laughs> I mean, that's right. my, that's my number three on the list. Danny is is we need to act as a nation that has borders, or else we're not a nation. And it's just horrific that that we have this border open and that there's no consequences to that. So, you know, those are the top three. And then, you know, I would say number four would be be specific that Hamas is a terror group. Understand this is not another nation; that it is terrorism. And then my last point would be follow the money. Like, you know, we talk about economics. There's there's an economic reality to um, money that's going to Ukraine is leaking out. How do I know that? Because the border's leaky. Because Hunter Biden clearly took money from Ukraine. And so there, there's strong evidence that we can deduce that our current administration, when you follow the money, it leaks out. So if we send money to Israel, which I don't think we need to, I believe it will leak. I believe that it's it's leaking and our economy is in no shape to be giving money out at this point. We should be making wiser decisions with it than we're, we're making. So, you know, that's that's my summary of, of kind of what we should do in this environment. So, Well, and that is a good segue about our economy and the policies of our own country to our topic for today, which is borrowing and lending. Again, this is part two, so we are uh, going with part two first. So we're going to be talking about today the ideas of debt and national debt. We really want to take it apart from three different levels, and that's the national level. Uh, talk about a nation being in debt, and and we don't have to tell most of you the dire situation of our national debt. And then also we want to get into the idea of personal debt and personal finances, talk about that uh, fairly at a high level, but then also talk about church debt. I've grown up in church my whole life, and there's always been different issues surrounding churches and their debt. And I want to talk about some of our thinking about uh, churches and debt and so forth. So we want to we want to talk about some of that. Yeah. There's re- so I want to talk real quick about inflation. There's inflation report just came out. It's 2.3% is what they were reported for uh, September, which is masked dramatically. And so if you look from 2008 to 2023 at what I would say are the major economic spends of families, so you look at it from a family perspective. Healthcare has gone up by 100%. So the cost of healthcare has doubled, essentially. Um, college tuition, that's not a surprise, has gone up close to 65%. Child care, which I'm against other than mothers and fathers caring for their children, has gone up 62%. Um, medical care, so this is not health services, this is caring for elderly is up 50%. The things that are down, which is really interesting, the things that have gone down in cost, software, toys, mobile phones, televisions. I think it's really interesting. The things that we become dependent on, the things that we waste our time on, that are where we're not good stewards, where we're not taking dominion, where we're sitting in front of screens, uh, are the areas that's gone down. And it almost 
feels like there's an intentionality to that, Danny, if, mm. if that makes any sense. And so longer term, I want to study this more and come back and talk about it. But it, The dumbing down of America? Right? The dumbing down of America. Like we are no longer taking dominion. We're taking dominion of our TV screen. Mm. So we're not actually building anything or using our hands or nothing physical. Well, and what we're talking about today regarding the national debt and the national economy really will get to that issue of inflation because that's a major problem. And really there's two significant issues surrounding our government's uh, current operation. And, and the first is you have the deficit and you have the debt. They're not the same thing, but they are uh, definitely kissing cousins. What are they? And what is the difference though? Well, first, the deficit is simply the difference between what the government spends from what they bring in. That's, the, that's a deficit when the government spends more than they bring in. And so when it, uh, what a government brings in is they often refer to it as revenue, but that's a code word for tax money, tax revenues. And again, as we said in a previous episode, the government produces, that is, it makes nothing. However, it has legitimate functions for which it does need to be funded through taxation. But the problem is, is that the government has become a spending machine. It has overstepped its God-ordained boundaries, and it is really into so many other areas where it is seeking to take care of the, the country and its people outside of what God has designed for them. And so they are just spending money like it's going out of style. They have committed themselves, and therefore us, by extension, because it is all our money that we produce, they have committed themselves then to spending far more than what is brought in. And that is craziness. The federal government is not operating on the basis of an agreed or approved budget, by the way. Right. They have not had an, an approved budget because they can't get along. They can't agree. And so what do they do? They, they don't spend because they can't agree on a budget. No, <laughs> they just spend. They just spend. They just spend with no care or, or restriction or discipline to any particular goal or any particular uh, backstop. And so they just pass, pass spending initiatives without any checks or any responsibility to not spend more than what is brought in. And so then what you have is a deficit. Well, since you've committed to spend money that you don't have with all of these bills, all of these laws that you are, are passing, what does the government then do? Well, it then borrows the money to cover for the deficit. Right. In order to pay the bills, right, they borrow money. So let's, let's just put this in terms of your own household. Imagine your household. You have money coming in, and let's just say you bring in $4.9 trillion a year if you were considering your household. Now, that's the amount that you have to spend on all your bills. That's, that's your income. Your electricity, your house, your insurance, your gas, your phone, your internet, your basics, right? All those things that you would ordinarily have as the ordinary function of your household, you've, you've got $4.9 trillion to cover those expenses. And then you have some money perhaps left over for other valuable things or saving for a rainy day, uh, that's how you would normally operate your household. And you would have perhaps some in, some discretionary spending, but otherwise, for, you know, if your household is eating out or buying tools or whatever that looks like. However, imagine that you spent $6.3 trillion on all kinds of stuff that you had no business buying. 
and you put it on your credit card. You know, you have now $1.4 trillion added to your family's debt with interest. Now, what would you say about a person who spent that much more than what he brought in? You'd say, he's a criminal, right? He shouldn't be anywhere near money. I would say he borrowed a year's worth of labor or more than that. He is fundamentally a year and a half of working for free. Because you owe, you have borrowed ahead. So you are a year and a half out in terms of what you owe in order to get back to neutral. And and what, so obviously those numbers are real numbers. Those are the 2022 numbers for our country. And the problem is, is that the government doesn't think of itself as a household household stewardship. Uh, They are taking money from the people. So that's the other angle I was going to say. The other the other thing they can do, which they do do, is they raise taxes. That's right. They call it revenue. But guys, <laughs> revenue from a entity that produces nothing is a tax. No matter how you label it. I don't care if you call it a, a national fee? park fee. I don't care if you call it a license fee. I don't care if you call it uh, a highway toll fee. All of those things are taxes. That's right. 100%. That's right. Or, now, pen, or penalties. Now or combine this, Danny, with this statistic. This is a great one. Since 2009, the top 0.1 percenters, as we call them, the richest people in America, not in our government, but but these people that are out there running these large corporations, they rose six, 36% higher compared to the rest of, of the people. So they have gone from 11% of ownership fundamentally of the value of the nation to 15%. Mm-hmm. And so what does that mean? That means that they have clearly been taxed less than everyone else. So where, where does the everyone else come from? Well, it comes from the middle class, right? So you have a, you've got a lower class that's receiving what I would call handouts. Yep. And it, it really impacts what I would call the middle class. Well, and, so. and what's happening is it is a massive socialist redistribution scheme. Right. Why do they not care about balancing a budget? Well, because they're just taking the money from the people who are earning it and producing. They are taxing it, and a huge portion of what they're spending is is on social programs. And these large and corporations so they're redistributing, are, yeah, redistributing and the, it. And the large corporations are making more and more. And so, you know, my attitude in response to that is this is the best environment to start a business that we have ever had. Why is that? Because people that are working for these large corporations are squeezed, they're feeling compelled to, to behave morally by a company instead of just produce. So they're being influenced towards gay pride, they're being influenced towards transgenderism. And so the frustration level and the productivity level at those, those companies are as low or going lower than they've ever been. And they just don't know it. This is what you and I have talked about right. over and over again is, is that discontentment within our working class is higher than it's ever been. They are looking for an avenue. They are looking for an outlet. They are looking for people that will lead to actually producing something to where you're, you're benefiting from the production of it. You're benefiting from taking dominion over what God has given us. You're not bringing any moral judgment on it, even though it's built into the way that you go about business. But you, you're just producing something, right? Well, and what we're seeing—you know, you think of Facebook and Twitter as a for, as a as a for instance—the people there, uh, when you go into their headquarters, 
all, they just have they've got yoga rooms and and coffee bars and hardly anybody is doing any work and part of your point is is that when it comes to Christians being able to build businesses and and do things when they have a, a work ethic that is doing their work heartily as unto the Lord and have the opportunity to perhaps build something that that, that will have more advantage over these other corporations where they're they're the people are getting squeezed and the motivation is down and all those types of things. Is that, is that fair? Totally. Right. That's exactly the reason. And with this deficit, and then what you do is you then just put it on the credit card. That's what the, our government is basically just putting everything on a credit card as, as an analogy. They're going into debt in order to pay all of the bills, all the promises that they've made. And what's interesting is they're not just, they're not just a little bit over their skis on, on, in terms of spending relative to income. $1.4 trillion. I mean, you, let's just say you were a million dollars over your income. You'd be like, man, that's a lot. The number is, I don't even, I can't even fathom a trillion. And so $1.4 trillion is the amount that they went over. And the problem is, uh, friends, is they just keep doing it year after year. 2023 is not going to be any different than 2022 in terms of spending versus uh, versus quote unquote income, and and what you have as as you have this continued uh, progress of deficit spending and increasing of the national debt, the debt balloons, it spirals, uh, it, all that type of stuff. It grows in such a way that the nation is in significant trouble debt wise. And again, there are several issues surrounding the national debt. The biggest one. Uh, is questioning really well who owes the money well the government owes the money well the people produce things and we are the ones that end up owing the money and and that what it means you pointed this out already the reality is is that they get their money through taxation that means taxes are only going to stay the same or go up they're not going to go down they're not going to they're not going to continue to to uh, pull back and give you more of your money and more freedom the issue is the government has bills to pay, and you're the bill payer. So it's only going to go in that direction. And the cost, and again, the inflationary impact of this that we talked about, we haven't hit on it a lot, but the, the reality is is your cost of producing is going up. So all the underlying elements of you just living life go up. The, the cost of cars has gone up dramatically, right? To, to own two new cars today, you have to make a minimum of $30,000 a year just to make the car payments. And that's that's given and what the average loan would be at the average oh, percent you're today. Saying. You're and saying so, you're maxed out on two on two cars at $30,000. So if you make 100,000 a year and you have two new cars and you have payments, subtract 30,000 from that and say I have to now live off of 70. By the way, that 100,000 gets taxed at 100,000. So now you're down to it whittles down very quickly. Yes. The math on the big items that we spend on. Yes. Comes out And of your we need to call really it quick. what it is, Jim. It's theft. It is. The government is stealing from its people because the government is not producing. The people are producing, and the government is saying, thank you very much. We'll take that. And they do so at the, really at the point of a gun. And uh, we'll have to talk more about uh, tax policy and tax theory and stuff like that too. But the, this, is a, this is a major... We need to realize that the government is our enemy. They are stealing from us. And we, we've talked about this. Imagine if we only had a, a, a message on becoming more dependent on each other and less dependent on the government. Like, and you and I've talked about this, like it's becoming more, more dependent on the church, mm -hmm. the God's entity for us moving forward in, in dominion together 
and becoming less dependent. So what does that look like? And we've seen this in our church, but I don't think we see it enough where, you know, someone can't make it to church because they've got a problem with their car. And one of the other guys goes over there, drops a gas tank and puts in a, a new gas pump for them. And then they show up at church. Like that's the type of stuff we have to do for each other. That's the each others. It's not necessarily just growing food. It's, it's, it's living life together and, and you have to build time into your life. You have to actually have the capacity and the priorities in order to do that instead of just chasing the holy dollar, which the government is making it as hard as possible for you to even survive, let alone get ahead. So if your dominion strategy is simply, I'm going to make more money, my contention is you will fail. Because hmm. it's first off, it's not God's design. And secondly, the number of barriers that are up against you are dramatic. What you're saying is we need to be better at not allowing the, the government to steal our stuff. Right. So we need to be thinking outside the box and thinking more ways that we as a church can be uh, savvy, strategic, intentional about loving each other, about being dependent on each other and less dependent on the government and less susceptible to the government's uh, overreach into our own homes and pockets. And teaching our children this. Because they're, they're going to have to figure this out for the future. Because well, they're, they're going to need the wisdom of what we've right. gone through in order to do that. That's, that's right. kind of my perspective. Well, and that's why these we were doing this type of podcast. That's why we're having these types of conversations. Right. Is so that you, the listener, you, the people in our church, also, uh, we hope that you are sharing this with your family, that your husbands, your wives, your children, your teenagers, young adults, that you're all listening and thinking. And look, we don't have all of the answers for everything. Part of it is you've got some of those answers. You've got those ideas. And and a lot of these things just need to be thought through so that we can bring new ideas and new ways and new strategies to the forefront that we can work together at implementing. But so you also, you already brought up the idea of inflation. So when you go into debt like this, one of the, the things that a government can do is they can just go ahead and print more money to pay off their debts and they debauch the money supply. And what happens is, is that it, once again, it only hurts the rest of the citizens. That's it, right. it hurts the people. Actually, when they print more money, it just, it literally, it, 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 it further in, inflates everything that's out there. It's just a, it's a, it's a temporary tool to avoid fundamentally debt, but you're just relabeling it inflation. Because now you haven't solved anything, right? Everything that you own is just gone down in value. That's right. Everything, your house, your car, everything. And one of the elements of, of why the government is, has so much deficit spending and has so much debt is because of the growth in the size of government. The federal government is the largest employer for an institution that produces nothing, but they are the largest employer in the country. Yeah, so they have the most people doing They have the most nothing. people doing the most work, not producing anything, but only regulating, uh, enforcing all those types of things. And and this is a bloated, gigantic problem for a country because the, the, the thing that happens is the rest of the people suffer as the government grows and the elites get more get more money. I read a solution to it. So I read a, a quick, easy fix. It's send 87,000 IRS agents to the Gaza Strip or Ukraine to find all the tax dollars that are tax dollars that are over there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't hold your breath. 
But yeah, no, uh, <laughs> that would be a good one, a good, a good use of uh, some manpower. Uh, but that you mentioned the 87,000 IRS agents. That's a lot, That's a lot of people to figure out people's taxes. No, 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 Danny, Danny, get, get this clear. <laughs> Those 87,000 people are hunting money. They are looking for fines. They are looking for yeah. people to to fundamentally go after for tax fraud. And there's probably some of that, but it's not 87. Think of how many companies are not 87,000 people. I don't think Micron is 87,000 people. I don't think Albertsons is 87, maybe. That's a huge, that's a huge, that's a huge number. number of salaries. To and their paid. only objective their is, to, is to find money that fundamentally is just an increased tax. So... Right. You know, and I, listen, I've lived this during the Obama administration. I got audited more than I had ever gotten before to the point where to avoid being audited, I would mail them every receipt every year. So I literally, my package to the IRS was like seven pounds. Yeah, it was seven pounds. And and I did it intentionally because I'm like, nope, you guys want to play this? Play stupid games, win stupid prizes. So I mailed them all the receipts and I never heard from them again. So have fun going through all yep. of my records. Exactly, because I had nothing to hide. So the point is, okay, you want to play this game? We're going to avoid this. We're going to avoid the whole go down the lawyer path. And yeah, so that's that's crazy. And that's that's essentially what these 87,000. Now, they're blocked right now. Thank goodness they're not hiring them. But um, back to the budget. We don't have a budget, which we know who's who in the zoo. What a mess. All yeah. right. Well, let's transition a little bit further here. Let's go talking about personal finances. And the reason why I wanted to lead with the with the national issue is because there's crossover. Sure. We ought to be able to think about the na the nation and the government, uh, a country really as a household because it, uh, the principles are the same. And Oops. so when it comes down to our personal households, we need to be thinking about uh, some of these things. So the individual and the family in relationship to borrowing and lending, I would say the guiding principle and the biblical ideal is found in Romans 13, 8 and 1 Corinthians 7, 21 and 23. Romans 13, 8 says, owe nothing to anyone except to love one another, for he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. The, the, the goal and the ideal, and again, not everything in terms of the ideal, um, if it's not ideal, it doesn't mean it isn't, it, it's sin, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. But the, the goal, the effort that we should have is to owe nothing to, to anyone else except just to love them. And then uh, 1 Corinthians 7.21, were you called while a slave? Do not worry about it, but if you are able also to become free... Rather do that. So the the Paul's principle here is freedom is preferable, but not to be free doesn't mean that you can't live a Christian life and you can't honor the Lord. And there's relationships that you uh, need to be faithful in, even if you're not fully free. But freedom is the prefer is the preferred ideal. And then verse twenty three: You were bought with a price. Do not become slaves of men. Now, just a reminder that a large part of slavery had to do with debt. And of course, there were other types of slavery in the Roman Empire, such as enslaving conquered people, man-stealing so as to enslave someone. But you also have, of course, indentured slavery, where a person is a slave to uh, work off his debts. And Paul does, not, does make the point that freedom is to be preferred over debt, over owing someone money. And we mentioned on the first episode, which we've leapfrogged, and that is the recognition that the that the debtor, uh, the, the one who is in debt is slave to the one who has lended to him. Right. That is the principle of debt. 
there is slave when you are in debt you are a form of slave and the goal is to be financially though independent so that you can be generous toward those in need see when you are free when you owe no no one anything then love in generosity can really flow in the best of ways and so your your goal shouldn't be to be debt free to to not owe anybody and it's very difficult to be generous towards others when you are in debt why would that be well, because you have obligations and you're the one who's in need and you're having to work hard and work more to make sure that you meet your obligations. And it's hard to be generous with other people's money when you owe, because when you owe that money to other people, uh, then your generosity, your generosity wings get clipped. We also um, notice in 1 Corinthians 7.23 that there are spiritual parallels to economic principles. Sinners are people who are described as being slaves to sin racking up a debt to God that we cannot pay. And the wages of sin, that is an economic term, of course, is death. But the human race is in the whole. It's in the red in terms of our righteousness with God. We have a negative balance. We are, in, we are deep in debt because of sin. And the problem is that God requires a spiritual bank account in the black of positive righteousness in order to be free and welcomed into his presence. And so you can see how these economic principles and spiritual principles relate to each other. And so God in his love and grace towards us, meaning that we didn't deserve to be released from our debt, but by grace, Jesus forgave our student loan, I mean, our our debt, right? right. <laughs> we were slaves to sin and we could not pay the debt ourselves. It is so huge. We think about our national debt. I think it's a great illustration. Our national debt is so large that we can't even begin to think about how we would be able to pay that off. If our national debt was our sin debt to God, we are hopeless. And so we were slaves to sin, and we could not pay that debt ourselves. So Jesus took the debt upon himself and paid it entirely. Colossians 2.14 says, having canceled out the certificate of debt, again, another economic idea, but in terms of the spiritual reality of our sin, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Yeah, and you and I talked about this, Danny. The ordinary means by which God works is um, the regular, slow, steady, every day, right? You're building wealth a little at a time. Can God bless you in, in extraordinary ways? Of course he can. Just don't just don't you depend on them. And when you do, when that does happen, look upon it lightly and go, God, what do you want me to do with this? I think that's such an important concept. So Proverbs 13, wealth obtained by fraud dwindles, but the one who gathers by labor increases. So how do you labor? Every day. You, you work every day, every day. And then you follow biblical principles of saving a little bit every day. And then eventually it builds up to the point where you are debt-free. More importantly, as, as you move beyond debt-free, now you actually have resources in order to invest, disciple in other people. Right. Well, and in this, in this connecting that to the spiritual realm, we have built up our debt through ordinary sins day after day, little by little, to the point where you look at your account and it's the size of the national debt. Right. It's a huge debt of spiritual... Uh, proportions that right. we have that we have incurred. Now, what's interesting is that Jesus had a one-time total debt forgiveness. A big the jubilee. The big jubilee. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. He nailed our debt 
each of us in him to the cross and took that out of the way. So debt forgiveness is not an entirely unbiblical thing. And we talked about that in the, in the, in the well, I guess we'll say the next episode, yep. we'll talk about some of those principles. But Jesus took our certificate of debt to the cross, nailed it there, and it gets even better than that. And I, again, I like to point out that the payment only brings, Jesus' payment on the cross only brings our negative balance with God to zero. Zero balance. And we go, well, whew, that's great. But what we love to point out in Christianity and in Orthodox, even Reformed understanding of salvation is the concept of double imputation. Not only did Jesus receive, he was, it was imputed to him our debt, but the double imputation is that we have imputed to us his bank account, his account of positive righteousness, which is required to live before God. Jesus has our debt imputed to him, then his righteousness is imputed to us. Our spiritual bank account then is then filled. Okay, now imagine our debt being the the, the ticker on the national debt website, right? That continues to just, I don't know what it is, every second it just continues to add tons of money to it. And it's a huge, you know, multi-trillion dollar debt. Imagine having that multi-trillion dollar positive account to us. That's what Christ did for us. He lived a perfect life, accomplishing all righteousness. His life is credited to us. And that's the beautiful uh, economic picture of our justification. Look, and we have that in eternity, obviously, and we have it here as well. Our our needs are always going to be provided for. And again, it's, it's, there is a, we have to do our part in that though. So, you know, we just can't sit back and wait for, for God to miraculously do something every time he, and he works through people. Yeah. You know, he's given us a responsibility. Right. So that's the spiritual side of personal debt and clearly freedom from debt is, is the goal. And we, we speak about that spiritually, but we, um, when it comes to thinking through, like you were just mentioning there, this idea of sanctification, sanctification, our role in that. What are some of the ways for people to stay out of debt? Also, what are some ways to approach getting out of debt if you find yourself to be a slave to a lender? Well, first we have to learn from the negative example of the government, and that is we are to live within our means to the best of our ability. There are things that are unforeseen. There are things that are consequences of decisions we've previously made, whether that's educational choices, whether that's lifestyle choices. Some of those things are things that happen to us in terms of health um, and other factors that we can't control. But that means we are to be self-disciplined, though, in our lifestyle choices. That gets to be more difficult in a culture that is saturated by debt and a lack of discipline, because these things teach, right? We've we've already kind of brought up the idea of the forgiveness, the, the proposed policy of student loan forgiveness. Well, what does that do, Jim? The only thing it does is it teaches people to be irresponsible with spending money they don't have, going into debt with whether or not they have the expectation or not of getting a forgiveness on it. They they think in such ways that they're being discipled into a lack of discipline and into spending money that they don't have going yeah, into debt. Yeah, I, I think that fear thing, we talked about the war and, and the level of fear that they are trying to instill into all the people. You know, that fear causes us to be unstable. It causes us to be reactionary. We're worried about how do we respond to the world. And when I hear what you're talking about related to personal finances, I, I always go back to the word contentment. I think that that is 
it's such a valuable word mm -hmm. today. And what does contentment really look like? And Hebrews 13 says, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. And that's, if you're content, then you are able to discipline yourself. Now you can actually start saving and work your way out of debt. Now you can actually start thinking about how do I produce more? Now you can start thinking until you get to that point of contentment in Christ, that idea of I am stable, that I am going to be provided for, that God has already paid the price, that he has credited me this astonishing fortune. Now I can begin taking the steps that he wants me to take, that he's told me about in scripture in a disciplined, ordinary way. And to stay out of debt, you just have to be wise about then your your choices, right. uh, education, skills, and the work that you pursue. You have to pursue lower expenses and higher income and develop the priority then of saving, right? It, it, and that's where contentment... It, cont Here's, I think, a misnomer. I talked about this uh, a while back somewhere in one of the messages that I gave. The idea of contentment and ambition are not opposed to each other. And I think we think that they That's are. Right. You can be content and, not, and, and still work towards improving yourself and gaining wealth. Look, Danny, and there's, there's a difference between working and actually producing. There's a huge difference. You can, you can work at something and not be productive in the grander context. You could be... Well, you just we just mentioned the government. Right. Government exactly. employees. Not producing anything. Or, Danny, you could, work at, you could work at Amazon, and I'm not picking on anyone that works at Amazon, but you could work at a warehouse where all you're doing is adding to the one percenter. All you're doing is adding money into that business. Your actual producing is being captured and taken by that company, and so your production is not being used wisely. Again, uh, not picking on anyone's work in there, but but you've got to look at that and go, in the grand scheme of things, am I producing and what does that look like? And for our listener, I think a key principle that we need to build, especially into our children, but also into ourselves, is the wonderful principle of delayed gratification. Deficit spending, debt, those are the outflows of discontentment, and immediate gratification. I want what I want now, and I'm willing to pay later for it well, for a long time and with interest, right? Those types of things. So uh, learn to discipline yourself, learn to discipline your children to learn the lesson of delayed gratification, that we work now and we enjoy the fruits of our labor later, as opposed to seeking the fruits now that we have to then that we're in debt to. Or worse, borrowing from a year from now. Right. In order to do what I yeah, in order yeah. to do what I'm doing now. So people who don't save and who have trouble living within their means typically have a self-discipline problem. I agree. And a self or immediate gratification problem. And so that's an important, uh, significant important principle for a personal finance. That's the problem of our government, is that they want to spend uh the the money that really is going to be paid for by people always talk about our children and our grandchildren are going to pay for all of this. And, and it's, it's out of control, it's undisciplined, and it's not a long-term vision for planning and for future, um, future value. Yep. Saving is about delayed gratification and it's about having a plan and it means that you may need uh, to buy, for instance, that cheaper used, used car. Because as you pointed out, Jim, two new cars is you can count on thirty thousand dollars a year to 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 have that. You might 
not be able to do that. And so you're going to have to think about making sure that you are willing to not keep up with the Joneses and their cool new big souped up raised truck, but you're going to need to perhaps buy that uh, older beater of a vehicle that can get you from A to B, but you can afford it. And, and that's what you have to be disciplined to be able to do to, to know that perhaps if you can, if you work within your means and you do what you can afford now, that maybe there's coming a day in the future where you can afford something that's far more expensive. But in the, in the short-term immediate period, you need to live within your means and have a longer-term plan of saving and the future. Yeah, get me going on this, right? I, I, I just, I, I'm going to hit on it because daycare and a second car Listen, the math just does not work. The 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 Add wife the wardrobe and the, the wife food going to work. It, it's sixty thousand dollars a year, guys, at a minimum. And I'll bet you it's more than that. I already said the cars, two cars is thirty, so half of that's fifteen. So now if you make sixty, you're down to forty five. You're taxed on that. Your overall tax bracket goes up because you and your husband make this much. And so the math just doesn't work. Doesn't work. And listen, our parents and parents' parents knew this. I, I laugh because my dad worked for the post office. And he worked a second, sometimes a third job. We had one car. When mom needed the car to take us to the doctor, dad walked five miles to work. And guess what? It snowed a lot in New York. So he walked in the snow five miles to work to be a postman who went out and walked a route. So, I mean, you know, you're talking about a long 25-mile day. I don't think postal workers do that Do that anymore. <laughs> well, my point is it can be done. Yes. Right. That's that's the bigger point is, is right. guys... It, it you see that as a sacrifice, but the reality is it's not. It's living in contentment. It's living within your means, and it's what we should do. And, and what you're pointing out there is the is the recognition that there was a conviction with a plan, and it was we're going to work this plan, and we're going to even sacrifice for this plan, and we're not going to overextend ourselves. Because look, most people, Jim, would say, "Oh man, I." I can't walk five miles. To I need to work. a second car. I need a second car. And on one level, you would understand. Most of us would be like, well, I could definitely see that you would need a second car. And I would say, yeah, your dad needed a second car. But he was not willing to overextend himself to get what he needed in a second car. For five doctor appointments a year. Exactly. Guys, exactly. that's what it comes down to. That's what it came so down to. So you're buying a second car for 360 days for five days. 359. It's the idea of you don't need it except for those five days. And sometimes he had a friend pick him up, but he was willing to walk. So the idea there was that he was willing to sacrifice, to do the hard thing, to, to delay gratification for the sake of a bigger ideal, a bigger plan, and, and discipline. That was discipline. Yep. And, and, and we need to develop more of that. It may mean that you don't get to go on some of those vacations because they cost money while you're not making money. It may mean that you don't get to eat out as much, but you have to develop a plan for the things you need and to save up to buy them in cash later on instead of buying them now and owing on them over a long time and then with interest. So debt is expensive. We'll, we'll, you'll hear us in the next episode talk about the value of interest-free loans. And we'll just leave it, to, we'll just tease it at that for right now. But it comes back to self-discipline, hard work, delayed gratification leads to more freedom. Again, if you're not in debt, then you're more free. Uh, and, and that saying no to impulse buying, to laziness, to immediate gratification, all of that 
leads to enslavement and to debt if you if you go down the, those roads. Let's talk a little bit about uh, Jim credit cards. Uh, credit cards. If you use a credit card, you are using debt. Okay. Um, is it wrong to have a credit card? No. Why not? Well, again, it's a tool for for managing your cash flow is the way that I think about it. And Correct. so um, I actually use credit cards to make money, if that makes any sense. Um, they give me 30 days to pay it off, mm-hmm. to which I've already expended it. And so uh, if I pay it off at the end of that period, not only am I using their money, but I'm not spending mine. Does that make any sense? And so I'm I'm making money on mine and I'm using theirs. And so unless you pay monthly, you know, now you are using it, what I would call unwisely. Um, now you are going into a you longer mean if you're term not paying it monthly. If you're not paying it off, yeah. Right. Yeah, now you're, you've moved into a period where um, you're extending out. It's borrowing at that point. You, you actually have a loan. Right. So I use it for advantage. Mm-hmm. You know, I basically have a 30-day interest-free loan Mm-hmm. Right, where I'm using their money. It's interest free because when you pay it on time, you don't pay interest. Right. It's when you it's when you are using a credit card when you don't already have the money. Right. That's the that becomes the issue, and that's exactly. what the government. That's why we say the government is basically uh, spending on a credit card because they don't have the money. So now it's debt, and now it is right. at interest. Right. Um, and so now the caution of a credit card is it's so easy to get and it's so easy to use that. It's out of sight, out of mind. All of a sudden, you're doing something, and maybe your wife is doing something on the same day. And the next thing you know, you're you're over your skis more than you should be. And so, um, it's not visible. Whereas, if you're opening your wallet yep. and you are taking a hundred dollar bill out and you are paying for it, you know you have a hundred dollars less. And so, it's this uh, easy way of fundamentally going down a slippery slope. Yeah. So that's the danger. Yeah, easy access right to other people's money, but. Uh, there is a um, you are you are using debt. It is debt, so it, it, it's okay. The issue is is that you're it's it's interest free, right? So you're you're taking an advantage there, right? Um, and there, there's there's positive elements to it, but there's danger. And what we find is a lot of people again in our country who aren't being raised by parents teaching them these principles, who are undisciplined, who are into self-gratification and so forth and just don't understand all of how the economics works, credit card debt in our country is massive and, and it is a huge problem. And um, we need to make sure that we as God's people are thoughtful about it and making sure that we are um, using things wisely and, uh, and taking precautions. And look, for some people, you might need to cut up your credit card because if you're not disciplined, then this is not the best p- path for you. That's right. Well, let's talk about student loans. What do you should, what do you think, Jim? Should we uh, should we encourage people to to take out student loans? <sighs> That's a tough one. So I did have student loans. Um, my parents did not pay for my college. Uh, and that that caused me to go to a different college for the beginning, and it caused me to work through college as well, so that I would minimize my student loans. Does that make sense? And mm-hmm. so um, I was aware of that, but I made university choices that cost less, and then I made decisions to 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 actually work during school such that I would borrow less. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. And so uh, you can, you just have to be wise going into it. I would say if you're doing $100,000 of debt to major in trumpet, 
probably not a wise decision. And, and we laugh I'll, at that. I'll just remove the word probably. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, I have, I have friends that, that have done that, that, that he, he graduated from a private university, which was astonishingly expensive. And, and he majored in that. And then I had, I had another friend that actually went on to get his PhD in music, but he was so far in debt that you're never going to get out of it. And so if you're going to be, if you're going to borrow on student loan, if you're going to borrow to educate yourself in something, I would say even borrow to learn how to weld, um, know the cost, know the probability of what you're going to make when you come out of that, such that you're making wise decisions. If, if you're coming out of it and you're going into a major where 2% of the people make money in the music industry and the rest of the people starve, probably not a wise decision. And yeah. that's not that I have anything against music. I love music. It's just a fact of that industry. So there's certain things that are going to lead. Uh, you, you mentioned in our previous episode the idea that you studied electrical engineering. Right. Electrical engineers, uh, you can identify, you can study and sh show the information. Electrical engineers typically make good money that, are, that there's a high prospect of being able to cover your debt and to take and to take care of it quickly, some of these loans that are that are out there uh, also have deferred interest and things like that. When I was at the master's college, uh, I came up short one year on uh, being able to cover all of the costs to go to school, and so uh, I was I, I did end up taking a loan uh, in the amount of twenty five hundred dollars. This was not a hundred thousand dollar education. I I had a loan of twenty five hundred dollars. And uh, the interest doesn't kick in until six months after you graduate. Right. And at six months after I graduated, I was able to pay off the loan. But it was one of those things where I, I, I hate debt. I hate loans. I, I, I'm allergic. But it's one of those things where it's, it can't, you can. I, and I appreciate your point on that. You can go into debt. What you have to recognize is that it, it changes choices and it changes decisions and it limits you. You're limited. So what happens is, as a for instance, um, I, I remember uh, having some friends that were wanting to be in ministry, right? They wanted to go be a missionary. But previously to wanting to be a missionary, they had developed uh, a significant amount of student loan debt and perhaps even some other debts also. Guess what? You are limited in the choices for ministry because you have debt and you're not going to be making a lot of money, first of all. Uh, secondly, you're going to be, if you're asking for a lot of money so you can go to the mission field and pay off your debt, then you're asking people to donate money to you that is meant for the mission field so that you can also pay off all your, pay your, all your other payments. It, it becomes, it becomes a problem. And there's a lot of, thankfully, there's a lot of uh, missions agencies and people that will say, sorry, you can't be a missionary because you have debt and it's not going to work. Uh, other things such as decisions about marriage, uh, such as, well, it, it, for instance, if you are interested in a, in a young lady, if a young guy, for instance, and you are considering the possibility of marriage uh, during that time when you would be going to school, you need to be extremely careful uh, and maybe you're making the wrong decision by going into debt to go to school while you have a family to provide for and your wife has a child and so forth, and you begin, or even if you're considering getting married and you, the, your potential spouse has racked up a bunch of debt, 
that is bringing into the relationship? Well, there's several issues. One, what is their view of debt? Have they repented of their lack of discipline, of their of their spending habits and so forth? They might not be in a good position to be married because they don't know how to handle money. You need to be careful about marrying someone who doesn't know how to handle money. And so that's an, those are what the point is is all of these things have ramifications for other decisions and other stations of life that you need to consider. It may not be entirely wrong, again, to go into debt, but you need to understand what that changes for you. It totally does. And we should weigh that all the time, even in our decisions and being content. And I think the the missionary example is a good one because I think it exaggerates the picture. And I I say that, like you have a missionary who is supported by people full-time and they're going over on a mission and let's say they have a, a great piece of artwork and they decide to get it refinished and it's $1,000. You and I would look at that and go, man, there are so many other things we should do with $1,000. They should be paying down their debt. They should be doing all of these things. We all have shiny pieces of art in our life. Maybe it's a pair of shoes. Maybe it's, you know, it, it's things that we want that we really don't need. And, yeah. and again, it's not that God can bless us beyond our needs and he does. Um, so I'm not saying that you live a pauper's life, but it's the idea of, do we really need that? Are we really content and such that if we don't have it, we're going to be fine and I'm able to move God's mission forward. So I think that's critical. And I I love the the missionary picture because it does exaggerate it. Yeah. And we all have them. Well, let's just talk about debt also in general, whether we're talking about, uh, personal debt for things relative to your household. Uh, That could be a car, that could be a house, that could also be a business debt. Um, Sometimes you need to take a a loan or you think you need to take a loan or whatever the case may be regarding your business in order to get certain things, equipment off the ground, whatever that looks like. And we need to recognize that that debt has built into it risk. You are banking on the future when you go into debt. And here's one of the challenges uh, for uh, for people that we don't think about and care enough about, is that uh, how, Jim? How much of the uh, control do you have over the future? <laughs> right, zero. Zero. Right. Uh, there, there are so many different factors, and when you, uh, and so that's why debt. You have to be very careful with debt, especially the amount of debt, because if you don't, if you're not using it, like you talk about the way you use credit cards. Well, I'm using debt. I have the money. But I'm actually using it so that my money is working harder and getting ahead of of that that thing. When you are taking, for instance, a significant loan, uh, let's say, uh, let's say you drop dead, you know, you have a heart attack, and you you don't always have to plan that. Oh, I might have a heart attack, so I'm not going to take a step forward. There's a debilitating fear in that regard. But what I'm getting at is that when you go into debt and you leave the picture, there are other people who have to assume that debt. It doesn't just go away. So it's funny. I was just going to say that there's two sides to that coin. There's the debt piece. So once you get control of your debt and you actually begin building such that God allows you to invest, and I use the word invest, which to me is disciple. It's it's how do we disciple other men? I mean, you know this, Danny. I've been years in this territory and have discipled hundreds of men, and I have invested in very few that had situations where they needed to go into debt until recently, right? And I, And I did one. And I did so knowing in my mind that I am going to protect this investment by doubling how much I think it's going to be. Does that make sense? And so even my investment amount, 
I have allocated double that in case something happens mm. because things do happen. So both on the debt side and on the investing side, you still have to use wisdom. You still have to say, am I going into this wisely such that if something happened, if he dropped dead, well, I would have other, a year to recover. And that's why you have to be wise to the times. Right. Okay. Where is this going in terms of what's our government doing? Right. What, what's the economy doing? What's the dollar doing? Um, where's my health? Right. Right. Where is, where is my lifestyle at? Um, all of those different factors uh, come into come into play. Am I going to be more productive in the future or less productive in the future? And some of that you don't always know. So you're you're needing to be thoughtful and wise about those decisions I because would, you're leveraging the future. And I would say all worldly economic indicators are right now. I should be battening down the hatches and not investing. And I am telling you, right now is the best time to invest, especially in young Christian, hardworking men and women. Good, uh, and, and we'll uh, we'll probably talk more about that in the future. Let's just talk a little bit more about another category: uh, uh, home loans. Um, taxes, of course, continue to make it harder to save. Um, and what we one of the challenges we find in the Treasure Valley with uh, you mentioned this uh, in the in the next episode, right. the idea of of the emphasis in our in our world, uh, the, the impact of the World Economic Forum. Multifamily dwellings, uh, the 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 raising of prices in an area where it becomes very difficult to afford a house, especially to do so without a loan. And we'd love to be as debt free as we possibly can, but sometimes you got to live somewhere. And sometimes uh, taking a loan uh, to buy a house is better than than renting, where your money just doesn't go into anything. You're not paying off anything. You're just um, uh, th- that's a often a very bad long term economic plan, but of course it enriches those people who do own stuff. Uh, talk to us a little bit, maybe Jim, about uh, your thoughts on home loans. Boy, it's a tough one. I think that there is a generational gap here where uh, we have, we fathers and husbands have lost sight of inheritance. So so the idea of leaving an inheritance to your son and to your son's sons uh, is lost today. And so um, because that's missing, fundamentally you have you have burdened that next generation with starting over. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Like, because you've left nothing, uh, essentially there's nothing to build off of. Does that make sense? There's no homestead. Just just to be honest, there's no land available such that you're leaving that in a way that that happens. And um, I think that that puts that fir- that puts a burden on that first start where you you cannot in this area do that without getting a loan. I just don't see how you can you can possibly do it. Uh, it, it. It doesn't change God's ordinary means though. The way that you get out of that is you begin saying like you did with your $2,500 student loan and mine was 6,200 is we are going to pay this off as fast as possible. Mm-hmm. So a 30 year loan, you know this, there are so many tools that you can use. If you pay an extra payment each year, it knocks it down to a 15 year loan. So and, you, yeah, so you have to, you have to plan Right to not have a thirty-year loan. A thirty-year loan is just a crazy long amount of time. Unbelievable. Right. So the idea here is is you have to calculate the loan so that you plan to be able to pay more on it than than what you exactly uh, than, than what you're asked to pay for exactly. thirty years. Right. Exactly. So it's the idea of you, you if your father didn't leave you an inheritance, you have to start. That's that's it, and it may mean that you're not in as good a shape as someone else when they're leaving it for their sons, but you've got to start. 
I mean, you have to start following God's principles and then let's see what happens. And, and, you know, I've been blessed in that area. My father uh, died and my mom's going to pass away and, and I'm in need of nothing. So I've, I've been blessed in this area and I'm able to, for my next generation and arguably their generation after, depending how wise they are, to be able to leave that, to be able to leave land and homesteads in, in ways that they can work. So yeah. it's such a critical concept. We'll do a whole episode, of course, on the idea of legacy and inheritance such and so an forth. So there's a lot more things to talk about there. Uh, finally, just on the personal side, let's just talk about a few things about how to get out of debt. Um, of, of course, one of the ways that you get out of debt is you need to work more. And you need to find what well, you need to increase your income as best you can. Or you also need to, the other element of that is as you um, also seek to work harder and gain more money. There's also the sacrifice and the, the discipline. I, I really appreciate Dave Ramsey on that one, right? You might need to be uh, beans and rice and rice and beans for a while. And I'll start, sacrifice. I'll start at Danny even ahead of that, where um, let someone else look at what you're doing. I'll be honest with you. I've never looked at someone's budget without finding something. Mm-hmm. I've never looked at helping the, someone. The fat. Where right? I've not found $50 a month. And you might think $50 a month isn't a lot. But put that $50 a month towards your mortgage over 30 years, and all of a sudden it looks like 23 $50 looks like seven years. Hmm. It's a lot of money. And so I would say really seek someone to look at it that knows finances and and take a look at what you're doing and see if you can find areas to cut. That's good. So they're, they're all over the place. That's right. So, apply, so uh, taking a closer look at your lifestyle and all the things that you have, all your obligations, all the things that that uh, you know, we can look down our nose at the government as well, uh, right. at, at the decisions that they make and all the things that they promise and are spending money on, but uh, we can do the same. And we need to make sure that we are um, thinking through those and examining those. So I think that's great. Uh, obviously, uh, like you talked about your dad, well, sometimes that means a second job. Yep. But again, another element of the reason why you've got to be very careful and try to avoid, again, the goal is to avoid debt and, and to be out of debt. You want to be free. Right. Uh, because when you are in debt, then and you're having to work harder or take a second job, a third job to try to do that. Guess what? There are other costs, and some of those costs are borne by your family. That's not home. The ones, yes, the ones that you are supposedly doing this for, the reason why you have the bigger house or whatever that means. Well, it's just stuff. So what happens is, is now you are gone. Dad's not home. You've got to work that much harder, and you're gone, and that many more hours, whatever that looks like. And you're you're paying a cost of time. You're paying a cost of family time, of love, of oversight, of enjoyment uh, of things, because you're having to really be a slave to your lenders. So actually, Proverbs thirteen. I'm reading it right now. Proverbs thirteen fifteen. Good understanding produces favor from God, but the way of the treacherous is hard. And so you can get a second job to own a second car, <laughs> to be in debt. And it's going to be hard. Yep. Ah, I'm sorry, but it's a biblical truth. <laughs> yeah. No, debt is hard. Right. Now, there can be some advantages and you can come out the other side, but right. there, because uh, it's also, uh, being poor is also hard. Whereas using good understanding, going into That's it, right. making wise choices, thinking it through, all the way through, such an important yeah. concept. And just another element of this is I would uh, I would just include the, the need to pray, that when you're in debt, that you need to be more dependent upon God. 
You need to ask him for his help, for his provision, uh, for his debt forgiveness, whatever that looks like, uh, and and for his help in getting you out of that, that you would follow his principles, that you would use, make use of the ordinary means. That you're pro- Here's another problem with debt, and we're going to get into this in the next section. Your priorities um, are at risk. Because of the debt that you incur, you are tempted, and it's easy to succumb to giving up on priorities that God has ordained for us. And so it's important for, uh, for that's why freedom is better than debt, because in, when you're in debt, you are uh, tempted to compromise your priorities. I think that prayer is such an interesting one, Danny, because we think about it from the standpoint of, of, well, yeah, but God already knows. But the reality is, is turning to God. And I would even say continuing a confessional of that, like, hey, I am in debt. God help me, right? Mm-hmm. Reaching out to him daily on what that looks like. Listen, that can go to your health. Mm. Oh, <laughs> you, yeah. No, so let's talk about a second the job. Stress. You don't pray. You take a second job and you have stress. And then you miss work. And guess what? Uh-huh. I mean, it's such, a, it's such an unbelievable picture, Danny. And I think it's the, it's that's the, where we skip we skip the basics yeah. of going to God in prayer, of going to God who has saved us. And we think we're going to do it our way. And we take that shortcut, and it's not a shortcut. Debt puts pressure on your priorities, and then further pressure is put on you, and then that thing that you took at risk that you didn't predict. You didn't predict the stress. You didn't predict the hypertension. Out of work. You didn't predict the back problem. You didn't predict uh, all those things. And then now you're just over a barrel, and and you're struggling. And then... Everything else snowballs from that. That talk about uh, Dave Ramsey talking about the debt snowball. Well, the debt snowball also happens because all of the snowball effects that happen with the pressure that comes. With and that. I would say all of that was good intention with bad process. Yeah, you skipped God, which you cannot do. Yep. So good intentions. I'm going to get a second job. Nothing wrong with that. And and really, and then the and then once you get out of how many people I want to get out of debt, Jim, go right back into oh. getting into debt. Right. So it becomes a habit forming thing. It becomes a, a way that your, your mindset, your thinking uh, moves along those lines. So it, it, it changes the way you approach life and approach things and stuff and money. Another element of that is, is then staying out of debt means again, that discipline, that doing with less, that slow, ordinary growth and, and working through those things, uh, contentment, all that, and dependence upon you're still de- you're always dependent upon God. Right. So, uh, and then keeping your priorities, the priorities, keeping the main things, the main things. And uh, what happens is, is that when you become a slave, you end up being a slave to someone else's priorities, and that becomes difficult. Well, one last section here uh, before we uh, wrap up our time together, and we want to talk a little bit about the idea of church debt. Uh, so often, a uh, so often churches get themselves strapped with uh, tons of debt, millions of dollars of debt as well, oftentimes in oriented towards buildings. And uh, I would just say that the same principle of stewardship and discipline to live within your means uh, applies to the church. The, uh, an important thing, a, a weighty thing on my mind, is the reality that the church functions um, similarly but different uh, to, to the government, but the church functions on the contributions of the people. And so you, the church is, and its leaders are stewards of the people's good faith and their money. And so it's important for for the decisions of a church and leadership to um, to honor the people who are funding it, 
And that's what we have in our government is, is a bunch of people who do not respect and do not care about the people who are, who are actually paying the, the freight. And so that's an important element. And we are 100% transparent. I think this is a, a critical thing for us is that we are completely transparent to, uh, to everything in our church. And so if you want to see down to the dime of what we spend, please come and see us because we'll show it to you. And I think that's an important concept for the church and all of our philosophies. I love that you and I are aligned on, and hopefully the other elders as well, but we're aligned on the building. The only reason that you and I would consider a building is, is it more worshipful to God? Like, can we worship him in, in a better way mm -hmm. by having a building? And, and, to me, that's that's the only criteria. Uh, the idea of debt uh, disturbs me greatly. So, mm -hmm. you know, we want to avoid that at all costs because I think God clearly has talked about it. And it's not that it's evil, but it can be. Yeah. So we want to be very careful and consider it in terms of is this worshipful to God, not necessarily what we're doing. Right. So no, that's an important thing. And and what what happens is is that uh, churches. Uh, just like they operate differently than what they would, or at least I would hope, um, that they are actually counseling people in terms of living within your means and sort of planning, saving, uh, discipline. All those things are, are important, but they want what they want and they want it now, and they're willing to go into debt to get it. And, yep. and I think that that is a poor representation to the people, poor example to the people, and uh, there's a lot of costs involved in that. We'll get to that in just a second. The other thing we've talked about with the building, if, if there is a building in the future or when there is, is using it in a way that is is productive, using it in a wise way to where it's not just used on Sunday and Wednesday nights, but all of a sudden, all during the week, there is methods of using that to take dominion. So, mm -hmm. you know, can people learn business skills there? Can they actually run businesses and things like that? I think that's, that's critical is thinking outside of today's box because I think years and years and years ago, that facility was multi-use facility, truly multi-use. Mm -hmm. And I don't mean a gymnasium for basketball. Right. Well, and what are, I remember as a kid and the challenges of some of the churches that we would go to and the thermometer up front and all the, all right. the pressure that was put on people and then building a building that sat empty for six days of the week. Right. Right. That, that's, that's a, that, that, that's a problem. So we have to be thoughtful about those things as we, uh, as we consider them. But I think it's important for ministries to avoid debt because of all the other things that we talked about personally as well. Uh, debt for um, a, a debt has a, a, an impact on our discipline. Uh, we need to be people who are thoughtful about saving, saving with for purpose, saving for a plan, but um, delayed gratification, sacrifice, generosity, all of those things. But debt places a subtle pressure to mute the message. It reduces boldness, Jim, because when you have bills to pay, when there is significant pressure on you, if people are upset with the preacher because he stepped on some toes by speaking about sin, by uh, communicating in such ways that in some ways might empty the church or partially empty the church, even though he's maybe being faithful, um, a pastor is going to be less likely to do that because he needs the the fannies in the chair, the the... the the, the people in the pews need to be there because they fund this thing. And if you offend them and they stop funding it, now this whole thing can collapse because you've been you've overextended yourself, you have not been disciplined and you're in debt. And so the, there is a sometimes it's subtle. sometimes a, a person, a preacher is not even aware of it. 
but it, it has the potential for muting the boldness of the message when you've got the pressures of debt saying, you have bills to pay, buddy, and you're dependent upon the people and their good graces to donate uh, from their production, from their wealth to support this ministry. And if they won't support it, then you're in trouble. Yeah, and those those the, that's where debt goes against God's ordinary long-term means of growth because the reality is is that if you don't preach the word, you're going out of business. That is a going out of right. business model for a church. It may not be in the next year, but I guarantee you God will not he cannot go broke, go broke, right? He cannot honor that. <laughs> he cannot. So, right. So when it comes to debt for a church, you're also presuming on the future. Yeah. And you don't know what the future holds. Exactly. You don't know what... Another thing, I mean, we have uh, we saw this personally as a family uh, at the church we attended, or my, my family attended uh, back in Corona, and they decided that they wanted to uh, build a bigger building. So they, of course, uh, you know, utilize a, a large amount of debt to build this uh, this big new building. And within a year of building the building, the pastor said, Adios. Right. I'm right. out of here. And that has a significant effect on what happens. It has a significant effect effect on, well, we need to be able to hire someone. We can't hire a guy straight out of seminary. He's got to be a proven, you know, moneymaker. <laughs> He's got to be a a brand, right? He's got to fill this church. He's got to fill the church. <laughs> right. And so it's not about uh, it's not about faithfulness. It's not about a guy. Um you know, whatever the, you know, the, the the situation is, is you don't know the future, right? And there's a lot of things that you are leveraging in order to get what you want now that you don't have control of, and uh, and I think it's very risky and it's it's problematic for churches to overextend themselves. And I'm not saying it's zero debt, right? Uh, but it has to be just because you can't say debt is is wrong. It is not right. Um, that is not found biblically, but there is. Again, all of these cautions, all of these problems, all of these decision priority uh, issues and potential compromises that, right. that can happen. So whatever you I think the priority is always to be free. It is to be, um, it is to be disciplined. It yep. is to save. And it is to... Um, I remember growing up, one of the things that um, would be sold in a church to go into debt was, do we trust God enough to go into debt? Yeah, boy, I hate that argument. You, you, you know what I'm talking about, I right? I hate that argument. Like, do you have enough faith, to, have get, enough faith? To, to take this loan? Look, I got this every year at the budget process. You know that. <laughs> and I fought against this so hard. I said, every dollar coming in is by faith. Right. Like, you can't go further over the tip of your skis in faith when everything coming in is faith. <laughs> and that's part of the point is, is that if you flip that over and you go, well, do you have enough faith? That if God is so, is is in this project, that He will fund it in cash. Right. Totally. Why 100%. is why is that not faith? Right. Uh, so you can you can be manipulative with people on that subject. Oh. And I just want you know our listeners to know that we are, our eyes are open to that, and uh, we do not want to uh, pursue anything in that regard. Trying to say that it takes more faith to go into debt than it does to um, to buy it in cash. That's ridiculous. So uh, beware of churches that, um, that sell you that line. Look, and we've heard this in the missions area too, Danny. If we don't send this person to X, then God's work will not get done. Uh-uh, that is not the way it works. God doesn't need any of us to accomplish his purpose. He works through men 
but he's he's not going to be manipulated and and people that manipulate for that purpose are going to be called to that on judgment day because that is that is unequivocally wrong yeah so we um we want to uh, as everyone in the church especially is working is saving hopefully is staying out of debt and is able to uh, is able to be growing their household and their wealth uh, for themselves their families and the future but also to be generous and to and to uh, have a vision for um, building the local church. Yep. And so uh, we want you to be financially in a positive position um, for for good. And one of those good elements is that we would you would help us not go into debt. Yeah. That if we have things to purchase, and we you know we we took an offering, for instance, for uh, a young lady in our church, right. and our people were very generous and. Um, and and that's a positive thing. And in the future, if there are needs that are, or goals that we want to uh, pursue, that we want you to be a wise steward of your of your resources because those are God's resources. And if you have a a, a desire, we want you to have a desire to be involved in uh, in the things of the Lord of this local church. And you need to be financially free so that you can be generous to do that. And, and that's so, so being debt-free is good for everyone. It's good for you personally. It's good for the church. And it's good for the church to be wise, to uh, live within its means. Everybody needs to be disciplined to live within their means. And, uh, and the, the best way is to uh, avoid debt uh, as much as possible and, uh, and, and to take all those things. Yeah, and I would, just, I would just wrap up my section saying I don't, debt is not sin, but when there is debt, there should be strategy. I, I think that is a, a good summary of it's not sin necessarily, but you'd better have a plan. You, you, you've got to look at it and go, there's a reason and here's the way out of this. And so to me, it's not sin. But this it, is why it is manageable and we don't believe that we have to leverage the future right. or put lots of pressure on people. That's the other thing about the, the debt that I'll, I'll wrap up with on this uh, as well is that when you are in debt, you continually have to pressure the people to make sure that they're pulling their weight and that they know that there is pressure on everybody to to do their part. And and I, I don't think that's that that's actually not the healthy um, place for a church to be in, um, where people you're always having to talk about money. You're the applic the applicant preachers are really bad at application until it comes time to paying the bills of the church. And uh, that's not that's not a positive thing. We want to be uh, we want to be free people, and in Christ we are free. We have been set free. Therefore, we need to live as free men to the best of our ability, with God having His sovereignty and care over that situation. Sometimes things happen, and some people do need to go into debt at times. We want to be uh, thoughtful and generous towards each other, and and um, apply these biblical principles. Well, that's all the time that we have for Truth Today. We want to thank you for joining us. And until next time, we hope that you will grow in your love and commitment to Christ and His Church as we are sanctified in the truth. God's Word is truth. Truth.